Bai Yu tried to joke with Sunset as she knelt beside him, but she barely acknowledged his questions and answered frigidly, directing her eyes and all her attention upon Jia Huan. Bai Yu seized her hand. Come, my dear, you must take notice of me if I speak to you. He tugged at her hand as he spoke, but she snatched it from his grasp. If you do that again, she said, I shall cry out. Jia Huan heard every word of this exchange. He had always hated his brother, Bao Yu, and this flirting with Sunset, his Sunset, was the last straw. He must be revenged or burst. A moment's reflection suggested the means. He had only to feign a slight clumsiness of the hand and it was done. The candle, brimming with molten wax, toppled straight onto Bao Yu's face. There was a piercing cry which made everyone else in the room jump. Quickly, they brought standard lamps up from the floor below. By their light, Bao Yu's face was seen to be covered all over in searing hot wax. Torn between anguish for him and anger with Jia Huan, Lady Wang urged the servants to remove it as quickly as possible, while alternately berating the other boy for his carelessness. Everybody, we are back. Uh, Kevin Wilson here, joined as usual by William Jones. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited for this chapter, which is uh, a deeply eerie and disturbing one. How are you doing? Yeah, hi, you know, this chapter is highly eventful. We don't always say that. Sometimes the chapters are a little bit, you know, kind of uh, laid back, casual, just sort of a you know, a survey of the the household. But this chapter is highly eventful, highly unique. Uh, a lot of, like, a little, a little bit of magic, a little bit of horror, almost, surprisingly. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, so this is chapter 25. Uh, two cousins are subjected by witchcraft to the assaults of demons. And the magic jade meets an old acquaintance, while rather the worse for wear. So in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 24, um, we had kind of three broad sections dealing with um, ordinary household life uh, for the, the Jia family, this wealthy noble family who are at the center of the novel. So first of all, our main character, uh, Jia Baoyu, the thirteen-year-old boy, he goes to visit his uncle Jia Xia, who is being taken ill, but not kind of seriously. And on the way there, he sees one of his cousins, Jia Lian, the husband of um, Wang Xifeng, who is kind of one of the most important women of the household and a, and a very central character in the novel. 
And so this cousin, Jia Lian, is um, talking to another young man, uh, Jia Yun, who is a kind of poor relative uh, of the family. They have a, a brief conversation during which Bao Yu invites him to, to visit him sometime. And then he goes on to see his uncle. Um, and as we mentioned, the uncle isn't seriously unwell. Um, but Bao Yu hangs around for a while and chats with the uncle's wife, Lady Xing. Um, and we have a brief scene where we can see how kind of um, partial, I suppose, how how favorably she treats him, Bao Yu, compared to several of the other young men of the household, um, uh, such as her stepson, uh, Jia Tsong. And then in, in the next section, we deal with that character we mentioned before, Jia Yun, the young man who's a kind of poorer relative of the family. Um, and he is... Um, He's trying to make something of himself um, by finding a job through the through the kind of wealthier members of the of the clan, but this is proving rather difficult, um, and so he's using various means to try to kind of butter up um, and flatter some of the more important members of the family, um, including buying precious incense and gifting it to Wang Shifeng, who, as I mentioned, is the the wife of. Uh, Jialian, the man who he's talking to previously. Eventually, after an encounter with uh, his uh, miserly uncle, who's unwilling to lend him um, some incense, and uh, a drunken moneylender, um, he <laughs> is able to to uh, kind of snaffle a job for himself. And having done so, he has a brief encounter with one of the maidservants of the household, um, a maid called Crimson, uh, Xiao Hong in the Chinese. Uh, and they, they encounter leaves a deep impression on, on each of them. And then in the final section, um, we see our main character, Jia Baoyu, who he returns home having spent the day with uh, one of the kind of royal or imperial princes, uh, the prince of Beijing, or kind of northern peace. Um, and when he returns, most of the servants are elsewhere, you know, on, on errands or sick or visiting family. And so there's only two around, um, and he asks them to go and fetch some water for him so he can have a bath. And while they're off fetching the water, he realizes there's nobody around who can make him some tea. So he starts making it for himself, when suddenly someone approaches him from behind and says, you know, no, let me do it. Um, and this person is Crimson, the the maid we just mentioned before. And she is... a. Uh, She's a kind of lower class of servant, so she's not normally allowed to to actually wait on wait directly on the kind of members of the of the family. She's relegated to a kind of back room, but she sees this opportunity to try and kind of get in front of him and and make a good impression. So while he while she makes him tea, they they do have a, a chat and kind of get to know each other a bit, and then the maids who had been sent to fetch the bathwater return, see her there. And an argument breaks out between them, um, where they accuse her, with some justification, of of seeking to, um, I guess they they accuse her with some justification of of ambition and uh, seeking to kind of move up in the world, and because that threatens their position, they're they're rather jealously protective of of it. Eventually, this interaction is interrupted by another servant who says that over the next couple of days. Um, there's going to be some new trees and plants 
brought to the garden and planted and so there'll be various screens and things up and so they may need to make themselves scarce at various points um, and we know that the person doing all this tree planting is the man we mentioned before Jia Yun, the the young poor relative of the family who's had the encounter with with crimson and at the very end of the at the very end of the chapter she um, is lying in bed crimson is lying in bed and she hears a knock at the window and she looks out and it's none other than this young man Jia Yun and he grabs at her arm and asks her to come come with him he wants to show her something um, but she pulls her arm free runs away and then trips and falls uh, over the, the threshold of the door and at that point she wakes up and realizes it was all a dream and in this chapter in this chapter we have um, again a couple of different scenes um, so in one scene we get to see um, the antagonism between um, Bao Yu and his um, his younger half-brother Jia Huan some of the family are spending time together drinking tea and talking and because of the way that Bao Yu behaves towards one of the maids um, a particular favorite of Jia Huan's Jia Huan decides to accidentally spill uh, a hot candle on Bao Yu's face so his face is covered in burning wax and this causes the whole thing to kind of swell up in blisters but it doesn't seem to have caused any kind of serious lasting um, lasting injury later in the chapter we have a visit from a new character who we know as uh, Mother Ma or Godmother Ma she's a kind of um, a sort of wise woman and she is speaking to the the kind of matriarch of the household Grandmother Jia about the misfortune which has recently befallen Bao Yu, i.e. having candle wax spilled on his face. And Grandmother Jia is very concerned that there may be evil spirits targeting him. So Mother Ma says that she should that Grandmother Jia should pay for um an offering to be made. Um um which will help to um I guess dispel these evil spirits. And so she agrees to. And then shortly afterwards she pays Mother Ma pays a visit to another member of the household, uh, who we know as Aunt Zhao. She is a concubine. She's concubine to Jia Zheng, that is, the father of our central character, Bao Yu, um, and the mother of the aforementioned Jia Huan, who spilled the candle. Aunt Zhao is, she feels like she's treated very poorly by the rest of the household, and she has it in particularly for uh, our main character, Bao Yu, but also uh, Wang Xifeng, who, as we mentioned, is uh, one of the kind of most prominent young women of the household, and who's very involved in running the household. But she's also known for having a rather sharp tongue. And so, this concubine, Aunt Zhao, while she's speaking to um, Mother Ma, the wise woman, um, she confesses these, you know, this kind of hatred she has for both characters, and Mother Ma agrees to help her. Um, by helping her put a kind of evil spell on both characters. In the following scene, we see members of the family um, kind of hanging out, including Bao Yu, and then his two female cousins, um, Lin Daiyu and Xue Baochai, both of whom are uh, kind of love interests of his. Um, and in this scene, in this scene, Daiyu is made, she's gently mocked, there's a suggestion that, that she and Bao Yu may, may end up married. Um, 
and she outwardly reacts very kind of um, offended by this, although we get the impression that perhaps this is secretly what she desires. And at this point, she and Bayou are left alone. Uh, and Bayou takes her hand as if to say something, but then just stares at her blankly for a moment. And then suddenly he begins jumping around and babbling deliriously before grabbing a knife and trying to trying to stab himself. Uh, he's restrained by servants, but then Wang Shifeng appears in a similar state. So they're both restrained, they're both kind of taken sick and are kind of feverish and, and just gibbering, unable to communicate uh, and getting kind of visibly weaker and weaker. And despite constant visual and the whole household being in a kind of uproar and panic, they both seem to be getting worse. Um, and after four days, you know, people are thinking that this looks like they're going to die and maybe they need to be preparing for their deaths. Anyway, when everything looks lost, we suddenly have the reappearance of two characters who we've we've seen from time to time, from the very beginning of the novel. The Buddhist and the Taoist, a kind of wandering pair of slightly mystical, magical characters. So they appear and they commune with the magic stone that Bayou wears around his neck. And then very shortly afterwards, um, both Bayou and Xifeng begin to heal from this terrible thing that's afflicted them. Um, as they're on the mend, that is where we leave the chapter. Okay, great. Uh, wow, so, you know, a lot's been going on. Um, and this chapter is not that long, but it's highly eventful. Uh, it's also very surprising, kind of artistically, thematically, I think. Um, it's like when when Bao Yu goes crazy, basically, and and Shifang also uh, is affected. It's kind of um, extremely sudden in the text, uh, and and so it's um, the effect is rather uh, uh, jarring, and it's kind of hard to uh, analyze properly. Previously in the chapter, I, I'd been thinking, you know, kind of um, I've been reading along with the uh, the mother or the grandmother Ma. And the whole sort of this weird um, commodification of spiritual beliefs, um, and, it, and it seems really cynical and manipulative. And, and uh, but then, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the wares she's peddling, the like the spiritual wares she's peddling, are actually efficacious. It seems, and so it it uh, it kind of like threw my analysis into disarray because all of a sudden I'm like, wait. So she isn't a swindler, but but she is like highly like uh, immoral and kind of um, conniving. It's a strange. Um, everything about this chapter is very bizarre because uh, it, it's the yeah. realism and the surrealism are just like bashing into each other, uh, and the effect is um, mm. remarkable at the very least. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. Uh, I my notes on her is just. This lady is such a grifter. Okay. Put, right. <laughs> and, and, um, but, but I know, right? So she's, uh, I mean, the best thing we can say about her is she's kind of playing both sides because, on the one hand, she's selling not snake oil, but sesame oil to right. Grandmother Jia as the, you know, the thing that's needed to protect Bayou from evil spirits. And then, on, you know, in the very same visit, she's going off and, selling something like what we might imagine to be a kind of voodoo doll type um, <laughs> prescription to 
Aunt I Zhao. mean, it kind of makes you wonder if she has this, like, you know, if she has the real medicine, why does she sell it to uh, Aunt Zhao? Why does she not um, kind of, uh, it, it's very like, it's like, it's like having these like superpowers, but only using them uh, for these like petty, because what she's getting from uh, Aunt Zhao is, is, I mean, I guess potentially she would get a large portion of um, any sort of, any kind of um, inheritance, right? Because, you know, mm. right now, Aunt Zhao's um, kind of social status is pretty low, but were all the primary uh, wives and, con- and con- wives to um, be eliminated, then potentially she might be, you know, a major inheritor of the entire Jia fortune, right? Um, and so maybe, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe this grandmother Ma has a whole, like, you know, plot for world domination. And this is, you know, one one important mm-hmm. step along the way. Well, we can we can talk about her. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. At length, I think we There's both a lot have to say. A, there. <laughs> we both but have a lot to say. It's kind of hard to but, give a, a general impression um, because the, the chapter seems kind of scattered a little bit. Yeah, I think I feel like it has a kind of slightly like uh, like gothic quality. Mm. You know, like it feels. Uh, it does feel a bit like your kind of nineteenth century yeah, horror yeah. fiction um, um, in a way. Interesting. We should probably talk about. Was it all a dream? You know, at least insofar mm. as Crimson was not actually uh, grabbed by uh, Jia Yun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to see whether he actually did, um, whether he actually uh, found her handkerchief, right? Mm. So there's, again, this kind of mix of reality and uh, illusion. Yeah, so so she's been, she's been dreaming of Jia Yun, but it seems as though... Bao Yu has been dreaming of Crimson. Mm, okay. Um, so they they met for the first time the previous day, when she seized on this kind of little opportunity to to serve him tea and thus kind of make an impression on her. And it seems like she very much has right. And because when he wakes up in the morning, he's he thinks maybe he should invite her to be one of his kind of inner circle of of um, maid servants. Um, but he thinks better of it. Well, he wants to test the water because he, you know, he's such a, you know, he's a nice guy, and, and so he he's afraid of like, kind of bringing her into the, uh, yeah, in, into the inner chambers, but then finding out, well, maybe she's not as, um, personable as she initially seemed, right? And so she, he, he, he kind of goes off to see if he can find her, right? Um, but he doesn't want the other maids to know that that's what he's doing. So he he pretends he's gone out to inspect the flowers. Yeah. This is the gilded cage that he mentions in the poem a few chapters back, where like he has all this um, kind of luxury and privilege, but simultaneously he has to like make pretenses just to leave, just to leave the premises kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he feels like he's he's almost caught sight of her when one of his other maid servants comes mm-hmm. up behind him and says, "You know, it's time to mm-hmm. it's time for your bath." Yeah, one of the uh, one of the uh, wardens, uh, Emerald, <laughs> and then uh, I guess Crimson is sent off to. She's kind of lost in reverie, and uh, Aroma, you know, breaks the spell and has her 
to get a uh, replacement spittoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like a clearly a, a thankless task. Yeah, no. um, definitely not the most. There's glamorous. a lot of spitting in this chapter. There is. That's a, that's the the one overarching motif in this chapter is just lots of spitting. Um, you're. This is, this is, you're right. It's, right. Yeah, I do. I agree. I agree. It's, <laughs> it's very. Um, it's the one consistent thing. It does link link through everything. Yeah. Okay, so then we have uh, the next day. It's the birthday of Wang Zetong, and we haven't talked about him in a while. Uh, and, and so I found some quotes from previous chapters to kind of jog our memory. So who um, is Wang Zetong? Okay, so well, it, yeah, I, I'm reading a quote from an earlier chapter. So Shrepan's widowed mother was a younger half sister of. Wang Zetong, at that time, commandant of the Metropolitan Barracks and younger sister of Lady Wang, uh, of course, the, the wife of Jia Zheng. Also, let's see here. Um, we also, there's a connection that's important to um, emphasize between Wang Zetong and Jia Yutun, who we will, we will recall that Jia Yutun had a, an audience with the emperor uh, and this is on the recommendation of Wang Zetong. So, so the the central family in this story are the Jia's, but the Wangs are another like important noble family, and the two are linked by at least two marriages. As you mentioned, the marriage of Jia Zheng to Lady Wang. So that's the mother and father of. Bao Yu, our central character, right. but also the the marriage of Wang Xifeng, who we mentioned is the the younger woman who's involved in household management and who has the rather sharp tongue, um, who is married to Jia Lian, one of the other young men of the of the Jia household. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so so Wang Zetong is, is is one of them, and as you mentioned, he's a he held some kind of like military post, right? So he's important in his own right and so for this reason uh uh i, I guess wang Zetong's wife uh is spending the day with grandmother Jia and lady wang mm -hmm. um and that's going to be kind of important later in the chapter it's at this moment that we kind of the uh the scene shifts to jiao huan uh who is i guess back from school and he is this is kind of a critical scene. He is um, in the uh, vicinity of Lady Wong. He's on Lady Wong's Kong, uh, and he's been tasked mm -hmm. with uh, copying out a Buddhist text, the uh, Durrani of the Immaculate Diamond. So, as we were saying, he's he's the younger half brother of Bao Yu, our central character, and he is so he's the son of. Uh, one of Jia Zheng's concubines, uh -huh. Aunt Zhao. Yeah. And as we, we've seen in other chapters, because he's the son of a concubine, not the son of a wife, he is... He really occupies a, like a significantly lower status, uh, significantly lower kind of social position in the household, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, perhaps there's something about his character which means that people just have nothing but contempt for him. <laughs> um, including apparently his own father, but 
I think there's also just something innate in his being the son of a concubine that means that he's so kind of, yeah. I, I mean, it says here, for example, he seated himself on Lady Wang's kung. So as we said, a kung is like a brick. It's a brick bed heated from within by, by a, a, a stove. Um, so he seated himself on that, called for a candle to be lit, and with a great deal of self-important fuss, began his copying. One minute, calling for servants to pour him tea, the next requiring one to trim the wick of his candle, and shortly after, informing yet another servant that she was standing in his <laughs> light. Um, um, and then it observes, the maids all hated Jia Huan and took no notice. Yeah. <laughs> but you can imagine what's going on here. He is sort of, because he is this lower um, status, he is kind of compensating by having, like, by requesting more of the servants and, you know, like, really kind of... Uh, what little power and privilege he has, he sort of like wrings it dry. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that definitely. Um, yeah, and that's gonna provoke even more resentment. You know, he's like the, um, you know, like he's the 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 shift supervisor who you know takes advantage of the fact that they are just a tiny bit superior to all of the other. Uh, all the other employees to really right. throw the weight so around. You have like a little um, bit of power, but it, because it's all you have, yeah. it's like really important to you and you exercise it to its full extent and then some. And it, it mm. ends up kind of making for a, a, a sort of a, an obnoxious character. There's no, you know, there's no uh, gravitas. There's no like generosity in your, in one's like gestures. Yeah. He he doesn't seem to make um, things any easier for himself. That's certainly true. Uh, and and as we can see, this this plays out. So all the maids kind of despise him, except right. for one, who is known in the in the Hawks translation as Sunset. Mm. Um, in the Chinese, I think she's Tsai Xia. Um, right, right. Um, and that's kind of important because I've been doing a sort of I'm basically writing a paper right now where I, I'm looking at all this like sunset related imagery uh, in this novel and how it relates to kind of a, a long standing tradition, especially in like uh, Tang poetry. Uh, and so we, we've seen a lot of like uh, Tai Sha imagery uh, and also like from the very first chapter. Um, and this, this term has been associated with uh, Bao Yu's jade and with the uh, the particular place in the in the fairy land in, in chapter one where he's stationed. Uh, and so now finally we, we have a, a specific name made with this name. And actually we, we've seen a lot of, as we mentioned in the past, all of the maids have these um, kind of ornate names which seem to be either related to the sky, to sunsets, um, or to clear skies, or to, in this case, in this chapter, we see, um, you know, there's a, of course, there's going to be like pearls and emeralds. Uh, and in this chapter, there's two servants with uh, whose names derive from, I guess, bracelets. So we have silver, uh, which, is, which is Hawk's translation of Yutrun. So it's more literally like jade bracelet, um, whereas he, he he's translating as golden jin chuan. So more literally uh, like gold bracelet. This is a kind of a general theme of 
yeah, sort of like conspicuous. Uh, I, I would argue it's a conspicuous consumption of like human labor, in effect. And that's yeah. what and that's what Jiao Huan is doing here. He's like very much like, oh, like yes, I need you to uh, trim the candle, you know. And, and so his like his meagerly uh, copying out uh, this particular sutra, uh, he's trying to lend it, you know, this this kind of uh, this air of significance. Um, but it, no, nobody's impressed. I, I guess they, everyone knows in the in at the end of the day uh who's in charge and 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 this kind of this vie for power even on on a ritual uh level is uh, deeply resented and so because he's so because of the way that he handles himself he manages even to slightly alienate Taisha uh sunset the one the one maid that does actually care for him um she calls him essentially a kind of she tells him he's being ungrateful mm-hmm. Um, she uses this f- this phrase, I think it's Goyao, Lu Dong Bin. So it's literally the the dog that bites Lu Dong Bin. But it's something like to bite the hand that feeds, right. kind of along those. You know, it's the it's the idea of like a you're you're attacking the only person that um, that actually cares for you. That's actually you know um, nice to you. So they're in the midst of this little squabble when a few more people arrive. Uh, so Wang Xifeng arrives, as does uh, Bao Yu. And <laughs> we see that he's uh, he's been drinking. And his mother mm-hmm. tells him off for a bit about it. But eventually she says, you know, come here, lie down behind me on the, uh, on the Kang. And, um, you know, just take it easy for a little bit. And so Bao Yu does that. And he asks one of the servants to massage him by gently patting his legs basically and the servant who's asked to do this mm. is sunset the one who's just uh the only one that cares for jia huan the younger half brother of bao yu and so i think because she cares for jia huan um she therefore does dislike um bao yu and she you know maybe considers him to be you know, mm-hmm. unfairly treated well, um, you know, maybe spoiled or uh, kind of almost like presumptuous, uh, entitled, you know, all of which I think is probably fair. <laughs> so when Bao Yu tries to kind of chat with her, she sort of ignores him. And this prompts Bao Yu to kind of grab her by the hand and say, you know, I'm talking to you. Listen, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what does this provoke? Well, you can imagine, and I guess I, I guess her kind of um, intentions here are, are subject to interpretation, right? You can probably imagine that uh, these um, impositions by Bao Yu are going to be uh, interpreted highly unfavorably by Jia Huan, who's in the room at the time, right? It's also possible that Bao Yu knows that this is you know mm. a, a favored maid, and this is his way of consciously or unconsciously um sort of um asserting authority right um and, and so she's kind of stuck in a difficult position mm-hmm. um and so she's trying to like resist uh his um advances yeah he's he he does seem to be em- demonstrating a real sense of entitlement to um mm-hmm. just like grab and touch anyone he wants 
um, uh, you know, h- however he plays, however he pleases, he, he does kind of objectify his servants. He might not even know, you know, that this is um, his way also of asserting, you know, authority over Jiahuan, right? In the same way that he wasn't really last time that he talked to Jiahuan, mm-hmm. at least as represented in the novel. Remember, it was like a, a, a very strange conversation where he's like, well, if you're not having fun here, you should just leave. And it was it was really unclear whether he was telling him off yeah. or whether he was just demonstrating a kind of um, social, like almost naivete or even like non-functionality where, where you just sort of say things without mm-hmm. considering um, kind of like the connotation of what you're saying. And so here, it's clear this is going to be an issue. Um but uh, it's probably end to be more of an issue than anyone expected, because uh, Jia Huan gets this idea like, well, you know, yeah. I'm, I, these candles are nearby. All it takes is you know a slip of the hand, and I can you know I can you can you can burn him basically. Uh, and this is what happens. So there's this like sudden like tragedy where all, all of a sudden Bao Yu his face is covered in in molten wax. Uh, like deeply burned. Uh, he lucks out and that he doesn't hit his eye. You know, mm-hmm. you can imagine you could, you could easily be blinded by a uh, a stray, uh, you know, bolt of wax. Yeah, uh, you know, I imagine this is not just your ordinary little um, little like mm-hmm. tea light or like small candle, but probably quite like a big big one. And there's probably a, a decent little kind of basin of molten wax formed. Um, and so yeah. It, Mm-hmm. That stuff would be pretty hot, and you know, if it splashed onto your skin, it would be. I mean, it's described in the Chinese as "yo wang wang," so "yo" being like oil, oily, and "wang wang" we've encountered before. It kind of conveys a sense of almost like overflowing, bursting forth, you know, and that goes splash all over his face. Um, mm, I, I'm imagining, yeah, like a, like a red candle, and it's almost like blood as well. Maybe that was kind of the uh, the psychological. It's like. It has like a murderous uh, sort of like valence to it, and and so this is kind of like the the kind of the uh, the scene it turns to you know some of the servants are there to try to clean off the wax, attend to the there's gonna be blisters, and uh, meanwhile um, Jia Huan is being berated by uh, by Lady Wang, um, and actually Jia Huan's mother is brought forward for a. Like uh, like a, a tongue lashing, in effect. Yeah. So so she exactly. So she, I think Xi Feng delivers a a characteristic kind of um, outpouring of kind of uh, anger at uh, Jia Huan, outpouring of kind of sharp words at Jia Huan. She in the Hawks calls him the most cat candid creature I have ever met. Uh, uh, in the Chinese, it's this mm-hmm. kind of weird phrase, Mao Jiao Ji. A uh, hairy foot chicken, hairy footed chicken, which is actually a real kind of chicken. It's a <laughs> chicken that has these like big bunches mm-hmm. of feathers just around its feet. But metaphorically, it's the kind of clumsy rash person here. So, so yeah, cat candid in the hawks is 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 right on. But yeah, as you mentioned, she realizes that she's berating one of the the masters, mm-hmm. you know, the the family mm-hmm. in front of the servants, and that this is kind of a breach of of protocol, a breach of etiquette. Um, you know, you can do it in pub- You can do it in private when there are no servants around, but you shouldn't do it in front of them. So, instead, she, yeah, as you said, summons Aunt Zhao 
that's Jia Huan's mother, concubine to Jia Zhong, and um, berates her instead. Basically, wh where we leave it, you know, Bao Yu is burned but not terribly badly, and he is given some ointment for his face. How about we talk now about Mother Ma? What do you think? So, Mother Ma. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, the next day, uh, Bao Yu goes to see Grandmother Jia, and, and then the day, the day after... Uh, Bao Yu's godmother, um, who's in the Hawks, is referred to as mm. Mother Ma. Her her title in the Chinese is Dao Po. So Dao, I think here being like Taoism, like the the road, the way, and Po being like a woman that generally kind of like mother, older woman type figure. Mm -hmm. So she's yeah, it's a kind of it's a specific religious position, I suppose. Right. We think of godmothers in a, I guess, in a Western context of maybe like family member or uh, like friends, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Friends of the family. Yeah. Uh, but this seems to be more like a an official, um, like occupation almost. Yeah. Yeah. Her role is she's some kind of religious figure who mm -hmm. has responsibility for ensuring that Bayou is protected from, I guess, you know, evil spirits and things. And so, yeah, in the beginning, she really comes across as, like you said before, not a snake oil salesperson, but a... She ropes Grandmother Jia into making this, like, what sounds like a, a kind of subscription, you know, <laughs> instead of selling, like, uh, like CDs. But she's selling uh, a sesame seed oil or a sesame oil subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, where basically they keep the, um, they create a kind of like, in, in the Hawks it's rendered a sea of light where it's it's shining day and night and it's this um, auspicious uh, kind of um, device for warding off uh, evil spirits, for preventing the kind of things that just happened, right? The reasoning behind it is quite interesting. So she says, According to what the scripture says, there's a bodhisattva of universal light living in the paradise of the West who spends his time lighting up the dark places where these evil spirits lurk. And if any believer, male or female, will make offerings to that bodhisattva in a proper spirit of devoutness, he will grant their children and grandchildren his holy peace and protect them from possession by devils. So like that is the conceit here, isn't it? Like you're, you're keeping this light burning it's interesting as well that she's very explicit about, you know, it's really interesting. Her explanation for what happens is dead on. She's like, you know, your son has all this privilege and, uh, and power. But like, if you actually look through the histories, a lot of, um, you know, wealthy young boys don't make it to maturity because there's going to be people along the way who are going to maybe poison their food or, or pour candles on them or you know maybe you'll go on a hunting trip and there'll be you know a quote-unquote accident you know which is actually i think a pretty uh, acute just general sociological insight and in this case it's dead on we just saw a moment ago and so you, you see this old uh, wise but also like highly cynical figure emerge who is like the only one who sees clearly what exactly happened which is kind of a, fascinating in a way do you think um there's any anything remarkable about the fact that he was burned by this hot candle with its like oil like quality and apparently the 
um, prescription for treating this kind of evil is like burning burning oil of its sort like keeping it i don't know i was struck by the kind of parallel symbolic significance of the of him having been burned by the candle and the the solution being i don't know somehow the burning of more candles um i mean maybe right um or or somehow or somehow that just being kind of almost a mockery of of it i, I don't know exactly hmm yeah, that's that's a very good question, especially because it really seems like you know, like uh, like snake oil here. Until later, we see that this same figure is capable of uh, of really delivering the goods in terms of magical spells and, and what have you. Well, I mean, there's this is quite funny sentence she says. Um, it doesn't matter how much you give, but you don't want to subscribe too much or you would overload his luck and have the opposite effect. Um, which is, which is, I don't know, it's, it, like her whole patter is so classic kind of sales salesperson. You know, it's like classic sales pitch um, because the way she convinces her, she says, well, this rich noble person is having, is burning this much and that rich person is burning that much. And, you know, you know, so it's kind of keeping up with the Joneses type, uh, that, that sort of appeal. Um, and um y- you know you know, the 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 prince of Annan's wife uh her sea of light is pretty nearly as big as a cistern you know <laughs> but then yeah but she also has the qualification you know if it's too much well maybe that's why it's not working and so it's like it's definitely uh unfalsifiable you know it, it's th- there's going to be an explanation <laughs> for no matter what happens and so uh, i think in the end uh grandmother jia signs up for like five pounds a a day just uh, an astronomical amount of you really wonder like can this like sesame oil like does it have other like practical purposes <laughs> you know part of me is like oh so much uh <laughs> it's a lot of sesame oil to be burning isn't it every day yeah and as a further precaution Bao Yu is to be given strings of money to give to any itinerant monks or priests or any poor or afflicted persons that he might meet at any time he's out out you know out and about you know in the streets which is great news for the servants because that means they can they can siphon off uh a lot of that probably (laughs) so having had this conversation with grandmother jia mother ma the the wise woman she goes off to visit uh other members of the household um and it says she kind of drift she drifted around the mansion so she's kind of she's wandering hither and hither and yon not in a particularly you know in a sort of aimless way and eventually she finds aunt jao mm-hmm. who yeah when last we saw her was being um thoroughly berated for her son's behavior and so you can see here in this scene that uh, Mother Ma kind of uh, sizes up uh, Aunt Zhao to see, you know, what she wants, what she needs kind of thing. Uh, and she's able to kind of mm. pretty easily, you know, get out of her, you know, a, a kind of confession of discontent toward, um, toward Bao Yu. And also toward uh, Shifang. Uh, and you can, you can imagine now Mother Ma trying to see how she can sort of um, use this 
uh, conflict to her own advantage. And um, we can see just how aggrieved she feels, mm. you know. She says, Juan, so Jia Juan, her son, and I will never be able to compete with the other one. It's like the heavenly dragon appearing when he comes on the scene. Um, and But she's like, you know, oh, I don't hold it against him, of course, you know. Uh, it's just the way that the grown-ups treat him that I find objectionable. Um, but then she says, no, this is the one that I can't stand. And as she says this, she holds up two fingers to indicate the kind of number two here, indicating the, the second of the the daughters-in-law, mm -hmm. i.e. Uh, Wang Xifeng. And um, so Mother Ma says that aloud. She says, you mean Mrs. Lian, i.e. Wang Xifeng, because she's, she's married to Jia Lian. Um, and <laughs> we see that Aunt, Aunt Zhao's face assumed an expression of terror. Motioning agitatedly to Mother Ma to remain silent, she got up, went to the door, raised the door blind, looked around, and having satisfied herself that there were no eavesdroppers, came back and sat down again, her face close to Mother Ma's. And she continues, She's a dreadful person. Dreadful! <laughs> and, you know, kind of goes off on the, a whole kind of rant about how much she despises uh, Xifeng. What happens here, you know, long story short, is neither of them wants to say it outright, but Mother Ma kind of, she's willing to go along with a kind of, like, what I want to characterize as a sort of magical coup. I don't know if... I've, we're basically... Um, I mean, Mother Mother Ma knows that were Bao Yu out of the way, you know, Jiao Huan's status would... Uh, rise pre precipitously, right? Yeah, he would be he'd be the only son of Jia Zheng uh, if that would happen, right? And and I mean, we, we, we know this that like uh, Chinese dynastic history is filled with these kinds mm. of um, power struggles between different potential claimants for the throne uh, from within the imperial household but also their mothers, you know, because I think it's not unreasonable to say that the way that a lot of women were able to exercise uh, power in this sort of society where they're not normally allowed to hold any formal position of power, the way that they could exercise power would be through male mm -hmm. members of their family, particularly yeah. their own sons. And so, yeah, I think, I think calling it a magical coup is quite a, is quite a good way of putting it. You know, it's not purely magical in that it's also... Like contractual. That's what's so interesting here is that we see this um, convergence of like these pseudo spiritual forms and these uh, like hard economic agreements to the extent that we see, um, you know, collateral is put down. You know, Aunt Zhao gives Mother Ma some of her um, her rather paltry savings, in effect as well as signing an, an IOU uh, promising to pay uh, Mother Ma later. Um, and so Mother Ma just got a lot of, she, she mm. just got a lot of uh, when everything, this, yeah. this really lucrative sesame oil contract, but she's also working on it. She's really hustling here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you really expect this, this will just be another one of her games, right? And nothing, nothing will come of it. But we're going to see later in the chapter that they, apparently th these magical remedies are pretty strong, pretty effective. Yeah, I I think it's 
funny because this I think is the second time in the story we've seen the IOU come out uh, and both times it's in aid of kind of like nefarious ends so the first time we saw it was in chapter 12 I believe so at that time there was a young man of the household Jia Rei who had been kind of trying to seduce Wang Xifeng even though she's married to his cousin and she had she wasn't remotely interested, but she'd been kind of playing along uh, because she kind of wanted to tie with him before comprehensively crushing him. And um, so he'd kind of snuck over to, to her side of the house to meet with her after dark. He'd been found by uh, some of the other young men mm. of the household, uh, Jia Rong and Jia Chang. And the two of them say, you know, everyone's looking for you because they've heard what you're up to, you know, sneaking around. We can help you sneak out of the house, but you have mm -hmm. to both you have to agree to pay both of us fifty tails of silver, and then they present these pre-written IOUs for him to sign. So, so in that case, the IOU was for helping a kind of creep to um, avoid being caught um, perving on his his cousin's wife, and in this case, the IOU is well, as we'll see, for putting a putting a curse on two of the members of the household. I guess yeah, this kind of reinforces the, you know, David Graeber's, the, 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 the Graberian thesis of there being uh, the, the kind of proximity between hard contracts and, uh, you know, ultraviolence or what have you. She gives her, just because uh, just I think the imagery is, is interesting, some little paper cutout figures. So two of them are plain human figures. Ten of them are demons with green faces and red hair. And so she instructs Aunt Zhao to write information on the human figures about Bao Yu and Xi Feng, respectively, and then to wrap the demon figures around them and then slip them each mm -hmm. under the victim's beds, basically. And if she does that, that will be enough for these to be kind of, yeah, kind of be kind of conduits for demonic activity, I suppose. <laughs> 